Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Off Talk Empire, with such agrarian programs as Iowa, Rutgers, Ohio State, and of course, Northwestern tending the crops. There was a skeleton crew of games in the nation's heartland this week. Working the combines, churning out B-roll footage as the sun sets at 4.30 p.m. for your consideration. I'm Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! You are listening to Off Tackle Empire. SB Nation's Big Ten football blog, which remains up to this day. I'm Steve Run, aka Thumposaurus, aka on Twitter recently I changed my handle to Fat Lacoste, going through my recent theme of, you know, just <laughs> fat themed Illini player names, until I got a reply by Matt Lacoste <laughs> suggesting that maybe my account was trying to say something, to which I said, yes, that I am fat and that you're a beautiful human being whose playing career I adored. Naperville North, class of 07. Anyway, my point is, when I thought I, my homecoming couldn't get any better, Matt Lacoste followed me on Twitter. So, that's Andrew Krzyzewski. At This is our crew. Um, we have no interlopers yet, but the season is still somewhat young. However, it is beginning to mature. Millie's also in the room, so we may hear from one of your Hound correspondents at any moment. But none of the teams in the conference, you know, had out-of-conference games against Washington or UConn or anything like that. Um, no Mississippi State on the schedule, no Georgia on the schedule. So really no reason for us to ping in any of our dog correspondents. But that, that doesn't stop them. From, from coming in and dropping their two cents at any given moment. Well, you know, it's better that they drop their two cents than drop anything else in this room. Oof. So I don't know why I don't know why he said it, Millie. I don't know why he said it. Yeah, you know, after I've I've been to the last two <clears throat> Illinois games and tailgated about as hard as I could for the entire day. So my win fight try Brewster of the week is a big old thing of liquid IV and a tea. I am getting too old to be living like this. <laughs> yeah, well, my win fight tribe brew of the week has been water almost every week for about three years running now. Uh, in a futile attempt to make the most half-assed measures I can to improve my health, uh, it's not working. But anyway, we've got a short slate of games to get through, so we'll hit them one at a time. And last week we marveled somewhat at putting Nebraska in the night game once again. They actually lived up to their end of the bill. But yeah, I will we, say this. Yeah. That was, that was an, exci- an exciting game. Uh, but before we get to that, got to point out the the highest profile game of the week was by far the biggest dud, and that would be Penn State going to the big house for Big Nude Saturday for the third week out of four. Or was, it, was this four weeks straight? I think mm, this might have been the fourth straight. But in any case... Um, Fox's noon broadcast basically lives in Ann Arbor now. Yes, Michigan football tailgate. 
And it's like, you know, there are other teams in the conference that play interesting and meaningful games. But, it, you know, they got their brand. That's what they paid for. Well, for whatever reason, they can't seem to get to any Ohio State games. I mean, Michigan is, in fact, this, you know, one of the highest ranked teams in the conference. They just proved why they belong there. Yeah, and look. I don't but, boy, I, they could spread the wealth out to, you know, the needy like Ohio State. I don't like Gus and Joel on the call anymore anyway, to be honest. It tends to feel like Johnson is trying to be himself a little bit too hard. Yeah, we're certainly far removed from the days of him saying pause to Spike Lee when interviewing him about a Knicks trade when uh, Lee said that, uh, you know, about uh, Dan Dick out it. You know, yeah, I like, uh, like the trade, I like Dick. And Gus Johnson goes, pause. Yeah, but anyway, so this game was competitive on the score sheet but in no other way for like the first half and a little bit of the third quarter mainly because Michigan tried tried some stuff in the red zone they shouldn't have they basically looked to open their whole playbook when the basic stuff is probably what they should have stuck to so they ended up kicking three field goals in the first half including one to put them ahead 16-14 right as the first half expired then Penn State got a field goal of their own but I mean to get their two touchdowns Penn State needed a pick six off of a deflected pass. Um, I happened to be listening to a piece of the Michigan radio call at that time, and I've never heard two guys try to dress it up more as absolute fluke, luckiest thing I've ever seen, nothing to do with the actual quality of the respective teams, ignore that play, didn't happen as far as I'm concerned, total fluke. It's like, you know, that happens in this game, man. It happens on your team's behalf as well. But the other touchdown was set up by a 60-yard keeper by Sean Clifford that, again, kind of hand-waved away as, oh, you know, what are you, you going to look for a non-running quarterback to scramble like that? It's like, well, if they're going to run zone reads and RPOs, yeah, you do kind of have to keep that in mind. And also your defense made Sean Clifford look a bit like Denard Robinson with the exception that somebody caught him. So anyway, I say all that in a backhand way to say that that Penn State got on the score sheet at all aside from the field goal in the third quarter, was you know not exactly because they were regularly and sustainably moving the ball. It was basically back to square one for an offensive line for Penn State that looked like it had really turned the corner. I mean, the new left tackle, Fashanu, was getting first-round projections. They've got these two young dynamite tailbacks that are making their running game look capable again. All that kind of fell to pieces against the first well-coached, reasonably deep defense that they played this year. Yeah, that includes Auburn. They have talent, but they're not a well-coached team this well, year. Well, I've, I've been saying since before Penn State even played Auburn that, like, you know, even before that game, I said, this result you could take with a grain of salt because Auburn's bad. Like, Auburn's bad. <laughs> uh, that being said, it's very funny that Ole Miss decided to um, insist on having a game with them. But, yes, this uh, Michigan more than doubled up Penn State in yards, but... Uh, as far as the test of how Big Ten are you, uh, outgained them on the ground by over 300. So, obviously, uh, Michigan not having the same issues running the ball as Penn State in this particular matchup. And that was kind of the question that we had was, this offensive line for Penn State has, through the first part of their season, looked like they've solved these issues that we have talked about the last few seasons as far as, you know, opening holes, not getting their backs hit in the backfield, and, you know, giving some protection, but what's it like when the rubber meets the road against a team that they're going to have to beat to get to the conference title game? Turns out, uh, <laughs> more of a product of their schedule not having anything like Michigan on until now. Yeah, the other thing that does have to be said, though, so Sean Clifford in a super senior year, again, we mentioned that he had the long keeper, 
But 7 for 19 for 120 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Um, losing Jahan Dotson, a player like that, we maybe took a little bit for granted that Penn State would be able to replace him because they've done it a couple times in the past. They had to replace K.J. Hamler, had to replace a couple of guys in Hamilton and, um, and Chris Godwin. They recruited really well at that position, and usually the next guy up is ready to go. I haven't exactly done the all 22 film of Penn State's offense enough, believe it or not, to be able to say for sure what the problem is here. But it's either, I mean, we, I think, both were very high on Parker Washington coming into the year as the next guy, but three yeah, catches I for 30, was, yeah. I thought, like, I really thought that he was going to be that next guy because at times last year he he did, you know, appear to be a, a genuine threat. He was enough of a counterweight that Dotson still sometimes got single coverage, even after everything he had done. So that tells you what kind of threat he could have been. And there have been moments where it looked like he's capable of being that guy. But I don't know if it's because he doesn't have the same connection with Clifford that Dotson did, or if the staff isn't using him the same way, or if he just frankly hasn't quite stepped up to the plate the way they expected. But lacking a big play threat, a reliable big play threat, none of the tight ends for Penn State have really become that guy. Brenton Strange has had his moments, but um, neither he nor Tyler Warren nor Theo Johnson have really become the next Friar Muth or Gesicki either. So... Clifford being a little bit more of a constant, I would suspect that the answer lies more with the guys past catching the ball, because we know what Clifford is. But now that you've got this loss as Penn State, and it's a divisional loss to one of the two teams you were going to have to climb over to get to the title game, I think the question will become pretty quickly, when do you turn the page and start giving Drew Aller starter reps to prepare for the future? Because you well, know if what you're you James Franklin, the <clears throat> answer is... When he beats us out in practice, because every single practice we're starting from square one, we're evaluating everybody as if it's the first. You know, sure, I'm sure there's some coach kind of thing that's not actually true. Like I don't know, I saw Robert Sala interviewed about beating the Packers on the road like by three scores, and he was just like, "Well, no, it actually, it we don't get too high or too low on anything. This is yes, of course, it's a big deal in as much as every win in the NFL is a big deal. But you know, we're we're we're, we're getting to the we're trying to instill a culture where we expect these kind of things, you know, like, like they, uh, like they literally had a locker room after again a win like that, where it was like kind of wrapping up a business call, you know. All right, we'll come back with open action items next week. Good, good meeting, good meeting, everybody. All right, in this yeah. one, thank you very much. Have a good weekend. <laughs> uh, look, in that case, perhaps Penn State should have prepared like they were not playing Akron. That's worth considering. Uh, from the Michigan side of this. Given the way that it worked out last year, I don't think you can make too big of an issue out of it. But And I understand, in this kind of matchup against an opponent with the playmakers that Penn State has, I totally understand sticking to the ground game when it's working. Again, like Donovan Edwards, almost 11 yards per carry. Blake Corum, almost six on massive volume. A couple of 60-plus yard, I mean, a 60-plus yard touchdown for each of them. I understand sticking with the thing that's working, but you don't expect to see any top 10 matchup. The winning quarterback's line to be 17 for 24, 145 yards and a pick. That they're not developing the downfield passing game is a thing we mentioned last year. They still won the conference in spite of that, but it was also pretty clear when they did get to the playoff that without a passing game, they were nothing because they faced a team that could stop them on the ground. But we're fundamentally talking about, you know, I I still think for a lot of Michigan fans, you know, the goal is win the Big Ten, right? I don't think that's Harbaugh's goal, though. I of don't course think not. Can. You don't. You don't. You don't stop there. But like, 
you know, you, you want to win this game. Like, this is a game that you have to have. This is one of the two teams that's got a talent level that's similar to yours. So it's like, you could try some things out like it's a scrimmage, but you could also just keep doing the thing that's working and win the game by a lot of points. Sure. So, <laughs> and it, it, look, it is true that despite the despite the difference from down to down, even going into the fourth quarter, it's only a two-score game. So I understand wanting to keep it relatively safe. But really, like, the philosophical question I have here is, well, if this is the approach you're going to use, why the whole thing with McNamara and McCarthy? Because you're running the same kind of system you did with McNamara last year. And, like, if he's the higher ceiling option, but you're not getting him live game reps to really test that, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But, again, it doesn't have to. They won the conference last year doing it this way. I don't think that's going to happen again. But it's gotten them to 7-0, a convincing 7-0. They now have a bye week. They're going to beat Michigan State by 50. Um, so they're not really in a position to be questioned. It, it still makes me scratch my head, but they're the ones, you know, the coaches, these coaches are the ones who are in the locker room. They know what they're doing. So I just thought it was odd. I continue to think it's odd. But Jim Harbaugh's an odd guy, so maybe that's not Th- This that is not anything that uh, anybody who really knows Michigan football well will dispute with you. <laughs> right. Um, let's talk about the other noon game then, the one that frankly should have been the afternoon showcase, but the conference continues to just yeah, fuck up its scheduling. Let's. Actually, a very similar game to the other one, where as for a while, in fact, by the end, it you know seemed like it had been a fairly even game. But then you look at the yardage. Yeah, and, and so Illinois... I. I had a couple thoughts, like, in the non-conference. I was like, man, Chase Brown really looks like Kenneth Walker here in that he kind of makes this offense work even if it otherwise shouldn't. But then as the season has gone on, I was like, oh, y'all have actually moved straight past that comparison and going to, like, the Javon Ringer, Sean Green comp where, you know, like, Le'Veon Bell, whoever your, your preference is for, holy shit, that's a lot of touches, but he's getting better as the game goes on and everyone Monty else. Ball. Well, yeah, that's well, the most relevant comparison, isn't it? Well, but even Ball never dominated the carries like this because they 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 still had James White, who went on to have a better. No, that was Melvin there. Gordon and James White. Monty Ball was the solo back there. No, he never. He was definitely a timeshare because the first year they still had Clay, yeah, and then true. they did have a younger James White with Ball at least in that 2011 season. I'm pretty sure, but anyway. Um, that is probably the best comp because they did have a couple of super high usage years with him. Man, talk about a guy who I thought was going to have an NFL career that just didn't. But, I mean, running back only had so many touches and he used a lot of them at Wisconsin. So, anyway, all which is to say 43 touches counting receptions or 44 for Brown in this game. Well over 200 scrimmage yards. 38 snaps on offense for Minnesota. Yeah, 38. The statistical profile is starting to so incredibly resemble Brett Bielema, Wisconsin, where you have a running back getting inconceivable numbers of touches. <laughs> um, time of possession is very skewed. You're not giving the other team a lot of snaps. Uh, Illinois had more than 40 minutes of time of possession, but also they converted. We went four for four on fourth down. Yeah, well, and that's doable. I would, I would guess, without having seen the whole game, that... Probably none of those were longer than four yards, were they? No. Uh, one of them was a very funny thing. At the end of the first quarter, with the wind of about like five to ten miles per hour um, that they were that Illinois was going into, 
near the end of the stadium. Um, PJ Fleck called a started calling his timeouts to to try to get us to you know kick before the quarter ended, so that our walk on kicker would kick a mid range field goal into a fairly light breeze. Um, <laughs> we decided instead to go for it and get <laughs> the first down. It. So hey, <laughs> yeah, that, like that again. That's the kind of thing that um, it's that thing from his days at Wisconsin, that sit-on-you thing, right? Yeah, and from the Minnesota... So, well, all right, before we get into the Minnesota side of it, we said going into this game that really this is a test between two teams who want to play basically the same way, which is to dominate the line of scrimmage, shorten the game with long, time-consuming drives, heavily based on the ground, deny their opponent the ground as much as they can, but certainly try to contain opposing big plays as well, I check and check plus for Illinois, especially on the defensive side, which I think I think to the extent people nationally are aware of Illinois, it's mostly, oh man, look at that. Brett Bielema's got a ground game working again. You know, isn't that just so typical of him? I think Illinois' defense still gets overlooked at this point. And what they did to Minnesota is truly impressive. Um, Ibrahim had a 44-yard carry. That was a really nice run by him. He, he slipped he through. He was re- like... I, I had been running my mouth a little bit saying that I wasn't he, he's, he's not Barry Sanders he's not gonna go for 204 touchdowns against us and he did that somewhat early in the game and I think oh, oh boy <laughs> perhaps he, I should not he did have that. a few first downs on some brilliant cutbacks really nice moves between the tackles uh ran some guys over I mean I, I I didn't say he wasn't a very good running back I just thought uh, he, he wouldn't find these kind of yards against the defense and 15 carries 127 yards. He didn't get a lot of carries because Minnesota didn't get a lot of snaps. Um, because their passing game was so bad. Tanner Morgan did leave the game uh, in the second half. Prior to doing so, 4 for 12 for 21 yards and uh, an interception early in the game that I, I just couldn't believe that he would throw into. I mean, this is, by the way, this this game and what he did last week against Purdue are why I was so angry after the Minnesota-Michigan State game because... I knew he was this bad. And that our defense still made him look like what they did on that very pleasant day when I should not have gone to the stadium. I should have known better. But that we made him look that good tells you exactly how bad that Michigan State well, was. He was making day. all of the... like The thing that he does execute really well is their, their, their base RPO play. He got some first downs. He moved the chains on some scrambles, making the right reads and such. But... Boy, I can't believe the interception he threw early in that game. It was it it, it was into obvious coverage. There was there was obviously a safety over there, and uh, boy, I just was never particularly concerned about uh, their their passing. Both Minnesota touchdowns were were set up by broken plays, kind of. Um, you know, with 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 Ibrahim, we were over pursuing a lot, and that's what led to that. And then we, you know, Minnesota. Returned the opening kickoff of the second half, uh, you know, damn near to the end zone. I think it was uh, like the 10 or something like that. But um, I think it was the 5. And yeah, so it, it, and again, much like the Penn State Michigan, we talk about sustainably producing drives. And it's only because Illinois' offense remains fairly buttoned up itself that we didn't see a wider margin in this game. But the, the yardage was 472 to 180 yeah. in favor of Illinois, which is just. The kind of yardage statistics you see in like five, six score games, and I don't think there are that many people sleep sleeping on Illinois' defense. I think the part of the game that people are sleeping on 
is Tommy DeVito because this is an unbelievable stat line for an Illinois quarterback given what we've seen in the last 10 years. 25 for 32, 252 yards, a touchdown, and uh, three carries for 17 yards and a touchdown. He gets first downs. Um, uh, granted, he had a lot of easy throws because Barry Looney called a very good game. It yeah. made, made things very easy on him. Um, but there were some throws that he made that there was one on a third and five backed up in their own territory where he took a big hit, stood in there, and delivered an accurate ball over the middle for a first down. I mean, that's that's some real... Like, that's just next-level stuff compared to what we've seen from Illinois quarterbacks um, around here for, you know, since about 2013 or so. And he, he had the option keeper. I mean, he's just... Uh, He's just, they mesh so well with the, uh, with the team around him, and especially it seems this offensive coordinator, Barry Looney, really seems to like his skill set a lot. Um, I, I think, was, honestly, I think... The line moved by two the morning in the morning of when it was announced that he was starting, which... Well, yeah, I think you're yeah. starting quarterback, especially when your backup is Art Sitkowski. I think that's normally going to be worth at least a couple points. Uh, but DeVito's always had this kind of potential. It's just Syracuse couldn't keep him alive, so... His skill set was not as good a match for Syracuse as it is for this no. Illinois team. Um, here's another thing, though. Tanner Morgan is 0-2 against quarterbacks older than him this year. <laughs> Every team they've beaten has featured a quarterback younger than him. He's in back-to-back games where he has been outdueled by an older, more experienced quarterback. So I think... The young guy just needs a little more time to mature. That might actually be the case. Isn't Casey Thompson also 24? He is. <laughs> so depending on who had the earlier birthday. Tanner Morgan is the median-aged quarterback in the Big Ten West. Uh, it's and, just mind-blowing. Um, you know, again, Ibrahim, who... My theory was this, was, was this, that his name really is pronounced Muhammad Ibrahim, but, you know, he was in Minnesota long enough... That at some point he just went, okay, fine, I'm Ibrahim. Ibrahim. Yeah, fine, I'm Ibrahim. Don't you know? <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> so, for the Minnesota perspective here then, again, this is the second week in a row when your offense has ground to a halt, mostly because you cannot throw the ball in the slightest. And now you're starting quarterback, who's been the only guy to take a meaningful rep for five years, is injured. We're recording here on Sunday night, so there's not going to be any injury news now for sure, even if it ever does eventually come out. Reportedly, he was alerted at the hospital, so it's not like a a serious, like potentially health-threatening injury in the long term. But I would have to imagine his status for this week is very much in question. And it does have to be said that you know he left the game with almost a full quarter left, still a competitive margin, and his backup, Ethan Kaliak-Manis, did not look ready for that, this. That, that, that game was as over as it could be when that when that happened because for as much as we've kind of ragged on Morgan a bit, he is by far the best option this team has. At least he know. I mean, yeah, he he's, he knows how to run the offense. Yeah, he runs the offense, which is which does not involve throwing the ball, but yes. he still knows how to run it. Yes, he runs the offense well. They, they just they cannot expect too much from from the passing game, and that was a big reason that the drives just started to stall. Um, he was picked off twice on six pass attempts over the course of almost the entire fourth he, quarter. He lost, I mean, immediately what happened was they lost 10 yards the first snap that he was in. Yeah. And th- and that'll come down, I mean, even with a center as good as John Michael Schmitz, you're still not familiar with the backup's cadence because he doesn't get any of the snaps with the ones during the week. So 
They've got a week to figure it out. I, again, I can't imagine coming off a concussion like that that Morgan would be ready if, if he is. It was that's... a really, really weird play because I, I saw a replay of this where I don't remember who it was that was pursuing him from his left side as he scrambled to pick up a first down that he ended up being ruled just short on, which <laughs> insult to injury quite literally. Uh, Gabe Yakis was pursuing him from the right side and <laughs> looked to me like he was punching for the ball with the assumption Morgan would be upright, right? Because these things happen so fast. Uh, I don't. I don't like when when you're interpreting um, people's motivations and their plans by watching super slow motion replays, where it looks like they had a full minute to make this plan on what they were going to do. Yeah. It sure looked like he started to punch at him when he was still upright, and as he went to the ground, being tackled by the other side, he ended up swinging that paw right in the side of his head, um, which just. Honestly, if for whatever reason we've gotten 15-yard penalty for it, I'm fine with it because it's a dangerous hit, but I don't, it is, I don't I mean, believe it was anything that was done intentionally. It's not targeting because it's not with his helmet. You know, he's out of the pocket, so he's, there's no targeting. I don't believe what was going through his mind was, oh, he's a runner now. I can punch I can him in the, punch him in the, head. the yeah, head. In full view of God, these referees and everyone. Right, it's it's not roughing the passer, because as you mentioned, he's left the pocket, he's scrambling, so he's a runner, which means basically all crime is legal. Uh, no, but seriously, it, it, having not seen this game live, basically all that I saw about this were you know some, frankly, bitter comments from the Minnesota aspect of it, of the, boy, I didn't know it was legal to punch a guy in the head now. Is that how we're playing the game? Again, if you think that a football player is going to use his bare hand and punch a guy in the helmet, I, like even a true freshman, that would be kind of a dumb thing to do, would it not? So yeah, well, I mean, look, and it's it's unfortunate. Nobody wants for that to have happened. Um, but football is a violent game, and a lot of times we're searching for solutions where there kind of are none. We just kind of have to be honest with ourselves as fans. But yeah. So for Minnesota, it's a difficult situation to be in. Even if Morgan is able to go, two-game losing streak, certainly a much more malleable defense to face uh, in the form of Nebraska next week, but still uncertain status of your longtime starting quarterback is not a great situation to be in. But from the Illinois side of things, at the end of the non-conference, we sort of looked ahead a little bit and said, well, you know, we'll find out for sure whether Illinois can compete in the division when they play the same game several times in a row. They've and won all three of them. By NBA standards, you are, or by NBA Jam rules, you're now on fire, actually. Absolutely. And you know what the best part is? We have a bye now. I mean, so we have a bye, and then road game at Nebraska, and then home against Michigan State, and then the next, I'll be going down for one more game. It promises to be the biggest cannon game in living memory. We had a, a full student section. They were able to do the card stunts again without getting dunked on by Deadspin, partially because Deadspin no longer exists um, in any meaningful form. <laughs> I mean, they, they, the attendance that announced was like about over 45,000, which is certainly not great, but it's the best crowd that I've seen in about six years. It was a lot of fun to be in the stands. That's kind of all I've ever asked for is fun. It doesn't hurt to be smoking these op packs, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I've been asked by people, man, doesn't that Indiana loss just, God, that hurts even more now. No, it doesn't. It hurts much less. It hurt a lot at the time because yeah. I thought that it meant, oh, no. We're not going to make a bowl game. We're, like, that's we're Illinois yeah. again. Yeah. And I, I believe I pronounced the game over with about 12 minutes to go. That is not something I would have ever had the confidence to do yeah. at an Illinois game. It is, it, it's all different now. 
Um, so yeah, with every passing week, the Indiana game hurts less. I saw some discussion somewhere about like, would that hurt their college football playoff chances? It's fucking bananas <laughs> to be having this discussion. Do you remember the memes I made about Illinois' path to the Big Ten title with all the Pepe Sylvia shit and the Lovey yeah. Smith laser eyes? Illinois' path to the Big Ten title game Don't trip is, over your own feet. Yep, take <laughs> care of Purdue. business. Beat Purdue and that's basically a good go back. By the way, same is true for Purdue. Beat Illinois and you've got the inside track to the title game. Go back five or six years and tell anybody who followed Big Ten football that this would be the situation that... How about the 2013 <laughs> game between oh Daryl oh Hazel God. and Illinois having lost 20 straight conference games? I mean, some truly hideous games have been played for this beautiful trophy. They are an obstacle to our success. I just never hated them. Maybe it's a train thing. I don't know. But uh, I am very excited that this game is going to be important. Yeah. All right, so we'll keep things moving here into the afternoon combo of games. Maryland 38, Indiana 33. How did this game go? Well, this was the first afternoon I've seen so far where Twitter began discussing Tom Allen's buyout, <laughs> which is oh boy. well over $20 million, by the way. I'm already one video behind. Will not drop below that number until December of 2024, assuming that they don't modify it before then. Uh, that being said, though, this game was a back-and-forth affair. Um, Connor Basilak just doing Basilak things, throwing an interception on the first play of the game six seconds into it, but also making enough plays through the air. Then Indiana kept up with Maryland for the duration, kept scoring points, even though, again, I, a run game that just that not, that not even a mother could love. They, they get nothing on the ground. So that Basilak has felt the need to push the envelope somewhat is really not surprising because if he doesn't do everything, they don't have anything. <laughs> Connor Basilak stats update. He has been overtaken by Kyle Vantrese of Georgia Southern mm -hmm. with 347 pass attempts. He's now 10 behind, but he is still ahead of Will Rogers, who again plays for Mike Leach. Yeah, I can't stress this enough. Vantrese and Rogers are both running full-blown air raids, the the radiest of air raids you could run. And it's just that he's able to keep up while Indiana's theoretically still trying to run a balanced offense is, is nuts. But again, that being said, the way that Indiana lost this game is probably what has nudged some of their fans towards the, can we get rid of this fucking guy yet? Sort of mind of th mode of thinking. Because Talia Tungavailoa, got hurt in the fourth quarter, right around the same time in the game that Tanner Morgan did, actually. And so they send in their untested backup, Billy Edwards. And for the rest of the game, he led back-to-back -back touchdown drives to secure the game against an Indiana defense that, as far as I know, is pretty much healthy. Uh, without completing a pass, by the way. Yeah, did not complete a pass. He came in, like I said, with almost the entire fourth quarter left to go. Three drives, two touchdowns, no completed passes. Now, ESPN gave him, with that over 3 line, a QBR of 90.3. It was <laughs> the second highest QBR of all four quarterbacks that were in the game, all four passers. He did the highest was 100 for Donovan McCulley, who went one for one for 23 yards. That's extremely efficient. Like, you can't really beat that. Like, even in terms of a yard per attempt average, like, that's going to be really difficult to beat. So, understandable. Hats off to McCulley. 
But yeah, Billy Edwards came in and basically did what they were comfortable with him doing, which is we'll throw once in a while to remind them that you can, but mostly we're going to have you hand off to Roman Hemby and also run it yourself occasionally. And so that Indiana was not able to lock down Maryland knowing that their opposing, that their opposing quarterback was no threat to throw the ball. For a program that has hung its hat on defense, that, that I think still views that as really being their identity, this is not a good look, man. Um, I guess about all there is to say is that it's really it's, we're only about a month out from hoop season now. I think it's reasonable to start reading those preview magazines and get yourself, you know, turn the lights down, um, read all those sources predicting Indiana to win the Big Ten. I'm sure you won't regret getting your hopes up. Never. Absolutely never. I was engaged in a discussion about, uh, oh no, my team is good and now I have to experience emotions. Well, look, I countered this by just living and dying with my team as it sucked for 10 years. Now, the good news is I'm used to the emotions. The bad news is I'm deeply damaged. (laughs) So, you know, there's trade-offs is my point. So, speaking of trade-offs, Michigan State 34, Wisconsin 28, double overtime. Right. Um, What a bizarre sequence of events. Boy, that's, uh, that's probably the best way to put it. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so let me let's start with the let's start with the easiest thing. I am happy that Michigan State won. Don't get me wrong about that, but the way that this game happened, uh, and especially in light, so all right, the one thing I'd say is they did get Xavier Henderson back for their defense in this game, and that made a huge difference. It, it, many plays happened where there, the defense appeared to know where they were supposed to be. So apparently having him on the field is the difference between people understanding their alignment in the back seven and just having no goddamn clue of what is going on in year three. So I like that's, that's good, right? That he's back and healthy and able to do that. That they needed a player to be on the field to make that communication is maybe not a great sign. Uh, and this is another game, I mean, it, that Wisconsin shows such a ground-based game. This is what I get for my hubris, by the way, in playing Graham Mertz and JMC, because I'll admit, I was I, I was curious about the, the bounds of my powers. And so I decided, I, you know, I walked on the dark side a little bit, all right? So I used my incredible, incredible devastatingly bad fantasy football fortune or results or whatever, however you want to put it to my program's advantage. I can, I don't know if this is like an NCAA violation I'm going to have to report. I don't think I'm considered a booster, technically speaking, because I ain't got money to give that school. You got to be kidding me with the way they're handling the situation with the board of trustees and the president right now. Fortunately, I don't have to talk about that. But I used my powers for evil. Okay, I did. Yeah. And, and you know what? It felt good. I'm I'm Tobey Maguire in Spider Man Three right now. I, I, I you know what? I'm, I'm Bully Maguire. I, what are you gonna do? I, I used to do this kind of thing. Well, not not so much because I was I necessarily had the withering touch, but because it was emotional hedging. When you know, a lot of times <laughs> sure, I would play. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of players that were pretty valid to play against, like some of those Tim Beckman and Lovey Smith defenses. Oh, for, yeah. for running backs. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
in, in some cases they were good, and in some cases... Right, and and tell, tell me that this was a bad decision on paper, by the way. Look at Michigan State's last month of results, especially defending the pass, and tell me that playing Graham Mertz after the game he had last week was a ridiculous thing for me to do. I don't think it was. I think it was a very sensible and defensible decision, have... which all of my fantasy choices are, by the way. It's just that 80% of them turn to ash in my mouth. So. You know, the thing that I've found very funny... Uh, on, on Twitter since uh, one of the many things I found fun on Twitter and other corners of the internet uh, it, you know in the wake of all the games yesterday is Wisconsin and Minnesota fans screaming about whose quarterback is worse um, which is very funny it's very Spider-Man pointing um, yeah but actually the answer, the answer is just yes actually no I think the answer is Tanner Morgan is better because <laughs> we have a common point of comparison yep. only a couple of weeks apart yeah. Uh, okay. So, so this game, I from the Michigan State side of this, I wonder if this is finally going to be the data point that's needed to convince Jay Johnson, offensive coordinator, who, by the way, I think is one one of the less blameworthy aspects of the coaching staff this year. But I wonder if this is going to be the game that convinces him, and I don't know to what extent Tucker is involved with the game plan, but. The offensive brain trusts that any game plan which does not include at least 10 targets for both Jaden Reed and Keon Coleman is absolute malpractice. Those are MSU's two best players. Peyton Thorne had probably his best game of the season, mostly because he was just chucking it up to those guys in places where they could get the ball. There are not a whole lot of defensive backs in this conference that can go one-on-one with those guys. And because you have two of them, you ought to be able to scheme one of them open almost every time. I kind of doubt it. Um, I think they're probably still going to spend a lot of downs running inside to very little effect. Uh, I, I still don't understand that mindset, given this offensive line has shown you what their ceiling is, and it's very low. The other thing, though, and I mentioned this in my bit for Sunday morning coming down, so I'm repeating myself a little bit if you also read that. I encourage you to. It's a great piece, by the way. Um, but... I returned from the DCFC game with most of the fourth quarter left to go. By the time I kind of got like settled in and dry and warm and everything, um, it was cl- close to the end of the game. So Michigan State's got the ball. It's a tie game. They have a chance to just, get, with a field goal, they would take a lead. Um, as this is going, Tim Brando, and I forget who was with him, but the booth calling the game are lauding praise on how Michigan State is handling this last drive. Whereas after almost every single snap, I'm losing my mind because they're taking forever. They're still, so again, they didn't get a big kickoff return. They have to go, they have to get into field goal range. And remember, Michigan State's kicking situation this year has been a freshman who's been spotty when he's healthy and is not healthy much, and a backup who didn't win the job at Auburn. And also, their starting long snapper is injured. So their kicking situation is all kinds of fucked. To even get to a reasonable field goal range, it's got to be inside of 45. But they are taking their sweet time. They had two timeouts at the beginning of the drive, but they burned them both well outside of field goal range. But they make a couple first downs, so it's still realistic to get an attempt off. But then, with like 40, 45 seconds left, I think, they call an inside run, and then it's third and two. They have no timeouts left. They throw a swing pass. Well, no, third and two, though, in this situation. Obviously, what they do then is they just, you know, they run down the clock and then they spike it, right? That, that's what they do, right? 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No. What they do instead is throw a swing to the slot in the middle of the field, which is tackled for a loss, which it's like a 45 or so yard attempt from here. Now it's a 47 yard attempt. And again, remember, this kicking game is not reliable to begin with. But they don't have any timeouts. Now it's fourth down, so they can't spike it. Now they have to run the field goal unit out. You've got a backup long snapper, a backup kicker, and sure enough, the snap, the snap is fucked up. Bryce Berenger, who's been their best, who's been their best player all year, and I maintain the rightful winner of the Ray Guy Award this year. If there is any justice in the world, which we all know there isn't, Bryce Berenger is obligated to pick up a snap that almost hit him in the leg. And try to make something of it downfield, but it's not a fake field goal. There's no receivers downfield. There's just two Wisconsin guys looking kind of confused as the punter's like, well, I guess. And he chucks up the ball, caught for an easy interception that doesn't go anywhere as time expires. And then we go to overtime. And in overtime, the first thing Michigan State does is call an awesome trick play where Jaden Reed throws a touchdown to Coleman. Not even a great throw, just like Coleman beasts this guy who's trying to cover him. It's like, oh, cool. All we got to do is get a stop now. They do not get a stop because on either first or second, one of their first or second plays of overtime, Burtz throws the worst pass I've ever seen. And keep in mind, I've watched a lot of Graham Mertz. Now, I've watched Terry Morgan. Is, I've watched Lewinsky. I've watched Petrus. I've watched all these guys. Is he under pressure? Not really. Like a little bit. But he throws it to the end zone. And there's nobody from Wisconsin within 15 yards of where the ball lands. Chuck Brantley is in a deep zone. It would be like fair catching a punch. And then Angelo Gross comes over and makes probably his first pass breakup of the year on his own teammate. <laughs> At which point, I turned to my wife sitting on the couch and I said, if they manage to fuck this up after that, I'm taking all my clothes off and disappearing into the night. And she, and she looked at me with an expression that let me know she knew I was serious. Wisconsin did score on that drive, but then were stripped for a fumble recovery by Michigan State in the second overtime, and then MSU scored a touchdown because, again, on third and long, they send in the play call, and Peyton Thorne's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to chuck it up to Jaden, and he caught it for a touchdown because that's what fucking happens when you throw it to him. So that they won this game in spite of all the stuff they did to try to lose it, that is why I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit less than convinced that this is a real turnaround. So they stumble their way to three and four at the bye. It reminds me, your reaction reminds me a lot, makes this game very reminiscent to me of the 67-65 game. Yeah, kind of okay, yeah, fan yeah, bases yeah, yeah. Kind of like, well, what just happened? Like, why, why did this happen? This was so stupid. Can we try again? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was something like that. And I, I just, you know, <laughs> the Wisconsin fellas and I in the Slack are like, God, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, nobody was happy about the outcome. Yeah, it was the 67-65 game. Yeah, I, okay, so again, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be livid if they had lost. Again, especially if they you had know, lost. Well, the thing is, of course, by the time this game got to second overtime, whoever loses this game... It's gonna be just furious. Yeah, but the difference is Wisconsin already fired their coach, and they don't—they wouldn't know him ninety-five million if they decide to move on from Jim Leonard. So the stakes are maybe a little bit higher for Michigan State. I think. Anyway, all of which is to say, I don't know. In, in an interim year, you're looking for solid coaching, and I—I I, I didn't see anything from that perspective from Wisconsin in the part of the game I saw that made me think Jim Leonard can't do this, at least with this data point that they didn't win the game. Perhaps as a function of looking at Michigan State getting a couple guys back on defense and being a lot closer to what they should have been all year. Um, and for Wisconsin, uh, whoever the, the next coach is, this guy can't be your quarterback. I'm sorry, he can't. Um, you, you'll, you'll inherit Braylon Allen. You'll inherit still some pretty solid recruiting classes that Chris had before yeah, I, things really fell off there. I remember um, White Speed Receiver sharing the, you know, the comment that Suddenly, he, he he knew at Minnesota made scouting Art Sitkowski. This is the kind of quarterback that gets <laughs> that coaches gets coaches fired. fired. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> but nobody said that about Mertz coming out of high school. He was nope. the highest regarded quarterback that Wisconsin ever had, and he got well. He didn't get Paul Chris fired. Um, Paul Chris got himself fired by not replacing his recruiting coordinator primarily. But anyway, here's another thing that came out of this. This is a result of Michigan State's like famously bad pass defense. How bad is Northwestern? I don't know, man. If you for for a quarterback who did this against Michigan State's defense to have the previous week done that against Northwestern, oh my god. I just I know I'm not very good at it, but I really do try to come at this from a perspective other than you're all Illinois fans with me. <laughs> I really do try. I know I'm not good at it. I know I'm not good at it. I but objectively speaking, like, transitively, that's horrifying for Northwestern fans to see Mertz's stats and stat line in this game. Yeah, well, look, they're on a bye this week, so we don't exactly have a game of theirs to talk about. But we're not going to let it go very far from your head that this Northwestern team could be historically bad, even in the context of Northwestern football. You'd have to go back to the 80s to find this, what they might end up being this year. Which, again, given that two years ago they were in a conference title game, like, Good grief. Uh, I will refer the next Scott Frost apologist that comments on my in-memoriam video on the YouTube <laughs> section to this part of our podcast and remind them that Scott Frost lost to this Northwestern team. <laughs> that is why he was fired. We were, you, you posted some of the metrics from the YouTube link for that. And, of course, the... Uh, <laughs> We've got like a couple of relatively small towns in Nebraska posting more hits than Chicago for that video. So we know you're watching. Um, we do it with love. All right. He makes these videos. But he's made. He started off this project with coaches from his own school. So if you think that he's being. First one was Chris Ash. But no, Lovey Smith was. A... I could have sworn you did one for Beckman, didn't no, you? No, no. Somebody else put together one for Beckman. Ah, uh, I see. Understandable. Well. Anyway, all of which is to say, Scott Frost deserved to be fired. He was a terrible failure. And if you are still if you still feel that some portion of your self-worth is tied up in defending him, you really need to take a long look in the mirror. Maybe like, maybe like most, smack yourself in the face. There's a lot of Nebraska fans in, in the, the comments of that video that 
that that know what's up because there's pure facts. So the, the the highlighted comment that I made there that that I, that I made highlighted on there was, "Till I saw this video, I never wanted to puke and laugh at the same time." <laughs> <laughs> and that look, that's really what we aim for here at Off Talkle Empire. So we thank you for your patronage. That sports man. So so I guess for <laughs> Wisconsin, there was one very good data point in the Jim Leonard era, and one not so good one. Yes, but. Again, there's, there's no question this is a deeply flawed offense. Braylon Allen looked pretty good, but... We're not evaluating Jim Leonard on a week-by-week basis, though. No, again, it's going to be... I think what you're going to be looking at mostly is, are there any games that they definitely should have won but didn't because of him? Because it seems like most people assume, look, he's a young enough guy that you figure he'll, be able, he'll understand and be able to recruit... You can't install a new offense in the middle of the season. No, that's the other thing, is he was not involved with the offense. That really is the problem. I mean, the defense ends up giving 34 points, but this game went to double overtime, and MSU scored two touchdowns. It was 21 points through regulation to a team that does have some playmakers. So that they gave 21 to Michigan State is not anything especially beyond the pale. Um, You would be hiring this guy to run his defense, and basically... I, th- I almost, yeah, like you said, I, I think the results don't really matter for Wisconsin as much as what it looks like, how the locker room responds to him, which should be pretty good since he's been there. And then you would need an explanation from him that we'll never hear because this is the interview with the athletic director of how does he complete his staff? What does he do to bring the offense into the modern era while still maintaining the Wisconsin hood of it? Because McIntosh was also a Wisconsin player under Alvarez. So anyway... Enough talk about that game. We got to keep it moving here. We did mention Nebraska a little well, bit. So I, I, we, were, I we, a, had a, we had a, a door for the segue, but you got one last thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I, before I looked at the rest of Michigan State schedule, I was thinking, well, look, okay, 3-3. Three and three, I know you got to play Rutgers in Indiana. 3-4. Mm, 3-4. and, four. Three and four, I know you got to play Rutgers in Indiana. Is there another? Oh, they're all road games at ranked teams. Right. Um, I, can't <laughs> rule, I can't rule any of them out. Uh, Michigan on paper is... No. Gonna like I said earlier, I expect them to beat us by as many scores as they want to. But after the result in the pandemic year, I'm never going to say never in that game. That's about the chestiest comment you're gonna get from me on that. And it'll also again, it, a lot of what happens in those first two games will depend on how healthy their defense gets. If they end up looking more like they should have coming into the season, they could keep those closer than you would think. Uh, I don't think they're going to win either of those games. But Illinois if, is one quarterback ankle away from having a really one-dimensional offense. And it's the dimension that Michigan State has been better against, not great, but better against, which would be the run. Uh, I don't know how they beat Michigan. I really don't. But, if yeah, it really depends on how many of these defensive players they get back and get back at close to... I mean, again, it's... It's so hard to tell because their injuries really started to pile up in week two, but they had looked really good to that point, but it was a couple of pretty bad Mac teams. So there's, you know, trying to draw a conclusion either way, even at this point in the season, I don't know what they ever would have been if they'd stayed healthy. I don't think it, it would not have been this bad. That's clear. Home games against Rutgers in Indiana do give you some those some be- here. If they lose either of those games, whether they make it to a bowl or not, I will be furious. They, so, they, I, bet, I guess it's not they true. They can't lose yeah. either of those games and not make some serious staff changes. Yes. it's So, I said earlier, you know, that 
I will check out after the Michigan game. I guess that's not totally true. I will keep an eye on those two games because if they lose either, that is a problem. Would you put it past James Franklin to lose to this Michigan State team at home? He's done way dumber things. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I am just not going to – I am done taking Penn State seriously no matter how much talent they have because they always do this. They always do this. Like – they never get much more out of it than goes in, um, and just you never quite know why. But no, it's, it's a it's, different yeah. reason every game. It's but, been it's been rare for their whole to equal the sum of their parts. That's true, and so yeah, like I said, I I can't say that there's no way I, Michigan is still the longest shot, but because of the particular dynamics of that game, I can't rule out that we would find a way to pull it out of our ass. Um, but yeah, a bowl game's a long shot. It would require them. To spring an upset, but they've got the bye week. I have some time to, you know, get my house further in order. So I'm happy not to think about this team because this was the dumbest game they've had yet this year by a wide margin. All right, last game of the week: Nebraska 37, Purdue 43. Okay, I get it. We put Nebraska in the night slot because they're just a bag of fireworks, and sometimes you'll be able to get all of them to go off at once, and it's cool as hell because this like game San Diego, right? Oh, San Diego did that. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this game was a lot of fun to watch. As a disinterested observer, Trey Palmer set a school single game receiving record, and yeah, Nebraska's not really a passing program historically, but anytime you do that, it's impressive. He was also really the only reason that Nebraska stayed close. A number of sort of broken coverages, him breaking tackles and weaving through the secondary. Some you know, again, shoddy defensive technique on a few of those plays. Um, it just didn't matter because Nebraska's defense is in absolute shambles. I mean, Dylan Maccabee ran for almost six yards a carry on 30 rushing attempts. That is the least Purdue thing I've ever heard. And the craziest thing about this is that despite that, like, you know, borderline, I'm sorry, borderline erotic, to use the correct Bielema parlance, (laughs) despite that borderline erotic stat line, Jeff Brown was still... Throwing late with a narrow lead. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I it look. I it, dare you. I dare you to do that shit against Illinois. I dare you. I double talk dare you. Commitment to the bit, man. Um. You know, I was watching this game with a bunch of people in Champaign, and of course, Illinois football fans. I'm not used to thinking about this in terms of okay, but how does this help Illinois? It's usually just like. <laughs> Who do we most want? Who are we most bitter at because we suck? <laughs> but now I had to explain. In a way, it doesn't really matter. I want Nebraska to win because I think Purdue's better. But this was true. The winner of this game ties Illinois to the Big Ten West. And I think it would be yeah. way funnier if it was Nebraska. Yeah, but it's just like, again, this is a wonky game because Purdue's style of offense does not normally give them big time of possession or plays run advantages. They ran 101 plays in this game. <laughs> no, they actually, let me make sure I have this right, because we talked about, you know, games, the, the, the Michigan and the Illinois victories as just, you know, like, like, a, like a, again, you, your, your dad kind of taunting you with the basketball when you're, when you're, when you're a kid and you can't yeah. get it. Looking forward uh, to that. It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> you tall asshole. So... <laughs> Uh, I want to confirm this stat. Uh, yes, Purdue had the most time of possession in a Big Ten game this week. 
they had nearly 43 minutes of possession. Yeah. Well, like I said, 101 plays. If you're wondering about, you know, for comparison's sake, Nebraska ran 52, which is a little bit more than half the number that Purdue ran. And again, not a team that is inclined to run the ball at all. But if you're going to give them 5.9 yards a carry for their new bell cow, apparently Devin Mockaby just out of nowhere is now a, a you know conference relevant sort of sort of running threat. I don't know what else there's to say about it. I got like neither of the defenses in this game really distinguished themselves, but a much bigger part of it was really that Trey Palmer was just the best player on the field, and Nebraska finally drew up a game plan that actually used him. He had a 60-yard run on an end around, and then seven catches for 237 and two touchdowns. Like that, he had that much yardage and only got in the end zone twice is kind of remarkable in and of itself, really. And Purdue had 38 first downs. Yeah, yeah. It, it, again, they missed a they missed at least one field goal. Um, wasn't just the this one. This game really yeah. shouldn't have been quite as close as it was, but yeah. Nebraska just found some very explosive plays. They remain. Quite the wild card. They're, you know what they remind me of a lot right now? Is most of what Ron Zook, Illinois, actually was. <laughs> uh, more talent than most of these teams that they're playing. Yeah. They could they could beat her. Like, I'm actually a bit scared to play them. Because they could beat us by two touchdowns. Like, they have the talent to do it. Um, they could beat uh, you by two touchdowns and you'd be like, yeah, that should have happened. They were really good. Or they could lose to you by three touchdowns. You'd be like, that should have happened. They were all over the fucking place. Yeah, like, they, like the, People only think of the runs of the the one season. They think it was like that the whole time. No, it was mostly it mostly looked like Nebraska this year. Yeah, actually. Yeah, but again, like the explosiveness that Nebraska had, I, Purdue punted once and still only won by six points. <laughs> uh, it, it, the game was all over the place. Again, hugely entertaining. Um, Okay, so on this one occasion, I will acknowledge that putting Nebraska in the night spot was the right choice. But that's in spite of all the other... I mean, like, again, you could have had MSU-Wisconsin. That would have been bad because those two teams on paper are not going anywhere. You could have had Minnesota-Illinois. Uh, Maryland-Indiana was also a compelling game. We, yeah, that, we only had one dud, and it was the game Fox chose for their new national broadcast. Like, I just... Anyway. I mean, it was the most... It was the most... They, 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 I to, get to the casual... To the casual, who's in the playoff? I want my game to, you know, half be covered with live feeds of, uh, like, Clemson. I suppose. I just... Can we, can we just go to CFP Red Zone so that they can just get what they want and the rest of us can watch the games that are actually good? Like... Kansas and Illinois. Your source for big Ten talk. It's off tackle. Empire.